Welcome back to the 50th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including Biden's energy department is sending money to a company that is Beijing-backed, and it may be cause for some concern. We have another article that talks about should we really be interested in what our past generations have to say? This one comes from a boomer saying young people don't have much to learn from us. And then our last article comes from the Daily Wire. And it talks about how we may have cracked fusion energy and it could lead to a whole new future. And we'll have a discussion about that one as well. And of course, we will end today with our daily delight. A story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now that's enough rambling for me. Let's get into our daily debate. And I'll pose a pretty easy question to y'all here. Do you think that there is wisdom that can be gained from previous generations? The author in the second article really points out that there's a lot of change going on in our world. The things that have drastically improved and other things that have gotten a lot worse since they were a kid. And they feel like it's a, a different world now. They might not have as much to provide knowledge-wise, wisdom-wise, to the next generation. And I think it's a very interesting question. Are there still not life lessons that can be passed down devoid of when you were raised, what kind of new technology there is, so on and so forth? And we'll have a deeper discussion about that when we get to the article, but I just kind of want to know your opinions. So if you have any, throw them down in the comment section, and I would love to read through them. With all that said, let's jump into our first article. This one comes from the Washington Free Beacon. Biden's energy department funnels millions to Beijing-backed green energy company. So, as you know, and I've mentioned plenty of times before on this podcast, Biden's administration has been pushing to not just make the U.S. energy infrastructure more green, but also to upgrade it and make it more modern and not so reliant on fossil fuels, but also to be able to handle the need for more electric-based services, you know, larger lithium-ion batteries in order to make it feasible to have electric cars in certain places in order to store all the extra energy from the green sources that they're trying to implement. So there's a large overhaul that's happening, and it's not just towards energy creation, but also energy storage and transportation, so there's not a loss of energy, we don't have inefficiency problems, so on and so forth. And one of these future technologies that's r not right now, it's not a key component of our green infrastructure, but it will be in the future, at least in my opinion. It, and it's really meant to help limit the impact of fossil fuels. It's called carbon capture. And for those of you who are up to date, you'll know, so I'm sorry if this gets a little repetitive, but some people don't know what carbon capture is. So it's a process by which we retrieve carbon from the atmosphere, which is theoretically, you know, this carbon that we retrieve theoretically could be used to make graphene, a highly versatile material that could also, you know, change a lot about the way we approach technology, creating different technologies, as well as building buildings and uh, how we 
go into space. So it's a very versatile material that can be used for thousands upon thousands of things. And honestly, it could be its own episode all by itself. So I'll leave that for a later date. Maybe we'll get to it on a specialty episode about materials that will change the world. Even though, considering the politics is hot right now, and there are a lot of articles that come out in that circle, I don't know if we're going to necessarily get to that, but I would love to. I would love to cover something more technology-based one episode. We'll see if I branch out here in the future. Quote, carbon capture company Tanzatech, federal spending disclosure shows, has received more than $10 million in grant payments from the Biden administration since April 2021, when the company announced a partnership with Sinopec Capital, the clean energy investment arm of Sinopec Group, a Chinese state-owned oil conglomerate also known as the China Petro- Petrochemical Corporation, to debut an international market of new energy and new materials, end quote. Lazana Tech has acknowledged in C. SEC disclosures that its association with Sinopec, which China has used to purchase oil from U.S. sanctioned nations such as Russia and Iran, could jeopardize its bottom line, end quote. So why is this story, or why did I just read that quote? Why is all of this a headline? And this is because Biden and his p- opponents have really begun to understand and recognize that being reliant and having to buy supplies from a potential, not saying they're outright, but a potential enemy could be very problematic. Look at the situation going on in Europe and Russia right now. Europe for years has been transitioning to a green economy. They've been trying to get away from fossil fuels or at least producing them in-house. And they said, well, you know, if we're not actually producing them here, it's fine. We'll just import them from Russia. And, you know, that seems to make sense. Russia has a very specialized economy. They can make these fuel products cheaper and ship them into the European Union. But guess what happens when a war breaks out? And look at them now. They're having oil, natural gas, used as a leverage point by Russia to really squeeze them hard. And the U.S. doesn't want to have that same situation happen to them, mainly because, and this is speculation, the author doesn't state this, but I would say it has something to do with the possibility of China invading Taiwan. There's no doubt you've seen it all over the news, speculation about it, and a war over Taiwan, not saying the U.S. would be directly involved, but we'd definitely be supporting Taiwan. That kind of proxy war is going to cause the Chinese to not necessarily cut us off, but most definitely be hesitant to trade with us because we're supporting the people that they're trying to invade. So we want to have infrastructure that is independent. That's what the Biden administration is really going for. That's what Trump was going for as well. And you even saw a push, even though Obama was a bit more of a a global thinker in that he's willing to have lots of free trade practices or at least limited trade practices in order to get resources, and not be as protectionist. Both Trump and Biden have been very protectionist in this era of coming out of COVID, as well as world wars or wars that are happening on a world stage again. So we've seen a lot of protectionist policies. And this is another one by Biden to try to keep the infrastructure, key infrastructure to building, like if you look at TSMC, the episode that came out 
I guess a week ago at this point, talking about building more chips here in the United States or this company that's meant to have carbon capture practices done within the United States. A lot of these moves on the green energy front are not just for green energy. It's actually a way for Biden to say on the world stage, yeah, yeah, we're transitioning to green energy, but also it gives them the opportunity to invest heavily in American infrastructure so they can be a little bit more protectionist and not have to rely on other countries as much. So while it serves the purpose of going green, there is a deeper layer to it, which is at the end of the day, it's a way to invest in the U.S. without too many opponents, too many friendly nations like the European Union nations saying, oh, you're giving favorable policies to the companies inside your country. Yes, but we're doing it so that we can have a more environmentally friendly economy. Don't you want that, Europe? Don't you want that, allies? So, you know, it serves two purposes, and there's a deeper layer to it, as there are for most things in politics. And let's be clear, that is speculation on my point, but it makes it makes sense, in my opinion. If you follow the logical trends, I think that Biden's been a protectionist president, and this is just another step in that direction. So why this is a problem and why it's in the headlines is because if we're investing in companies that are going to operate here in the United States but have a large amount of money being sent in from Beijing. That is a strategic weakness. It leaves us in a point, it makes us a little bit vulnerable because not only does the Chinese government have, well, it's a state-owned company in Sinopec, so obviously the Chinese government is directly involved. So not only will they have access to the carbon capture technology that we are working on here in the United States, but also... In theory, they could say, no, no, we don't want you to take that contract. We don't want you to do this because it goes against our interests and we're giving you money. So you have to listen to us. So it it kind of undermines Biden's efforts to make us a little bit more protected from outside economies and not be as reliant on them. So that's why this is in the headlines. And that is why it is relatively big news. And, you know, there are a few other things that I want to bring up here. There's a good quote from the author, quote, Biden has placed green energy at the center of his administration's priorities, with the Democrats working to invest billions of dollars in America's clean energy economy to create good-paying jobs in the United States. However, China's dominance of the clean energy supply chain challenges that priority. In addition to Lanzatech, Biden's energy department has touted a $200 million grant to lithium-ion battery company Microvast Holdings which the department said would, quote, supercharge the private sector to ensure our clean energy future in America is American-made, end quote. Microvast operates primarily out of China and was recently added to the Securities and Exchange Commission watch list of Chinese companies that have failed to comply with American auditing requirements, the Washington Free Beacon reported on Tuesday, end quote. So, the author is obviously very jaded and sees this as counterproductive. But I think there's a, a different perspective we could take here, which is because, you know, it could be a very interesting tactic on the Biden administration's part. So basically, my thinking would be keep China close. Make sure that we're still investing in companies that they have a vested interest in keeping going and investing in the United States. Keep them close make sure that we're still working with them, that they still need us as much as we need them. And then as we build out our own infrastructure and we're ready to decouple, that's when we cut off the funding. 
And, and, you know, one problem I do see, though, is sharing our technology, having the Chinese government have access to intellectual property from some of these companies. And, you know, business relationships with the Chinese company very often are mandated. The Chinese government actually mandates that they do certain joint ventures where they have both Chinese and, let's say in this case, American executives working in the joint venture. And there's a certain amount of technology sharing that must be done when you work with Chinese companies and you do a joint venture. So I think while it could be an interesting tactic, and I'm not saying that it 100% is, I'm just trying to, you know, fight back, push back against the author a little bit here because they are a little bit jaded, they are a little bit cynical, and say, well, maybe it's a tactic by the Biden administration to say, hey, let's keep our enemies close until we no longer need them, essentially. Now, maybe that's giving a little bit too much credit to Biden, but only time will tell in this case. All right, with that one out of the way, I think we should go to our second article from the Daily Beast. I'm a boomer. Young people don't have much to learn from us. So people always say that you should listen to your elders. You should respect your elders. But this author clearly doesn't agree. I mean, from the headline alone, you could tell where they're going. You can tell their perspective on things. And you can also very nicely tell their age because he even says himself, I'm a boomer. So let's jump into the first quote. As, quote, as I approach retirement in a few months, I found myself wondering if this common assumption really makes much sense. What triggered me to ask this question was an episode of the 1960s television classic, The Twilight Zone, called The Obsolete Man. In a seemingly fascist future society with little use for books and knowledge, a humble librarian ascends to death on the grounds that he and his occupation are obsolete. While I'm neither a fan of fascism nor the death penalty, after watching the episode with my 87-year-old father, I might add, I was troubled. Maybe, I thought, at 60, I'm obsolete, end quote. So, and this is a really, this is a really dramatic quote. It's really overplayed. But the author's getting at a very important question, and it kind of goes with this idea that I brought up in the daily debate. Things change very quickly, very rapidly, and especially over the last few years, you could even say, or the last few decades, you could even say that things have changed exponentially, especially in the terms of technology. As technology has changed, as we've become better at processing not just information, but quite literal, literally computer processing, we've been able to make smaller microchips, allowing us to have even smaller pieces of technology, like a, a wearable wrist, wristwatch that ha is basically a computer all on its own on your wrist. 25 years ago, that probably seemed very, very unlikely. And as these changes happen, we can improve our production processes. We can use AI to make better chips. So it's kind of an exponential growth at this point. It will stop. It will not be exponential forever. But at this point, we are exponentially growing and things are changing so rapidly that the author is really getting at the idea that when they grew up, there was not even the semblance of a personal computer, or at least to the degree that we have it, not an entire box sitting on the desk at home in your dad's office. And TVs were big, blocky, cathode ray tube 
machines versus the flat screen plasmas we have nowadays, the LED screens we have nowadays. So the author is trying to highlight that the world has changed so much in that the generation that's growing up now is growing up in totally a totally different world, but not just technologically, also politically and socially. The first thing they bring up is the idea, actually, I can go to a quote here, which I think highlights what the author's saying very well. Quote, but change isn't just about technology. When I was a kid, there were no concerns about pronouns, gender meant male or female. There were no open discussions and exploration in high school, as there are often today, of people's gender identities. In 1965, 84% of Americans were white. Today, the number is below 60% if Hispanics are excluded. And the U.S. was far more middle-class society than it is today. When I was 10 years old in 1971, 61% of households were considered middle-class. 40 years later, that number has dropped to 50%, end quote. So, yeah, the author's saying not just technology, but also socially and politically, the environment has changed. So, basically, what they're getting at is, do I have anything to offer? Can my life experiences actually help somebody that grew up in a totally different world, that grew up in a totally different situation, that has had totally different life experiences? And it's a question that we've been grappling with for a long time as a society, then again, not as much because, remember, technology has not exploded like it has over the last 100 years. Someone who was born in the 1900s had more in common with someone born in the 1850s, their parents probably, than someone born in 2010 today has in relation with 1990. And, you know, that that's maybe a stretch. We could probably say... 1980, maybe 1970. So at the end of the day, when they're growing up, these life experiences are so different. And because things are rapidly changing, it has to directly affect the way that you think about the world. If you grow up in a world where you cannot instantly call somebody on the other side of the earth with WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, even just on iPhone, if you don't grow up with that mentality then you don't see the world as a small place that's more global in nature versus someone who grew up having to call an operator, have them connect you. And even then, it's hard to call other countries because you have to pay fees. Or maybe you didn't even have access to certain countries where now we can just look on social media. Oh, Senegal. Yeah, I didn't know anybody in Senegal, but now you could just go on Instagram, look up hashtag Senegal, and learn about people's lives in Senegal and then, you know, talk to people through Instagram, Twitter, DM them versus when this author was growing up, that's extremely hard to do. So that's one aspect of it, that this overly globalized worldview has been bred of this technology age. And the author doesn't directly point this out, but I bring it up to highlight what he's saying, that things have changed so much do they have anything to offer? Do they have any insight that's actually valuable and can actually help this next generation that's growing up? And that's a discussion that's been going on for a long time. But I think that it's a very important one. And I think the author kind of gives up you know, a little too quickly on this one, saying that his generation's value system is no longer important, that we are have nothing to give to this next generation. I, I strongly disagree. 
And, you know, there's always a push and pull between the generations. The newer ones often really, they go too far. They take some of their ideas to the extreme. They're idealistic and naive in their pursuit of certain things. And it causes damage to people without them truly understanding the implications of their actions. And then older generations have to step in and rein them in and bring everything back to a more moderate, sustainable level. And this is because the older generations, even if they don't have the same life experiences, they still have more life experience. And this all always leads them to have less of a sense of naivete. They have a better understanding of how the system that they live in works. Even if the system has changed and the balance of power in certain instances has changed, they still have more time in that system, especially when it comes to a society or a political system. They have more time and they have a better understanding of the inner workings, the operations, the way that you get certain things done, the correct etiquette in certain locations, the way to approach certain situations when you're having a marital dispute. Are you telling me that you're going to go to a 14-year-old, someone younger than you, and say, well, you know, you're growing up in this generation. I'm online dating like a majority of your population probably is. Can you help me out? What, What do I do when I'm having this issue? No, you're probably going to go to your dad. You're going to go to your grandfather. You're going to go to your uncle. You're going to go to someone a little bit older than you has more life experience. So the fact that the author is discounting what they add to our society and the value that their life experiences have is very concerning to me because it's kind of saying, oh, no, we should throw the people that haven't lived the exact same life as me. If they don't have the exact same life experience, if they haven't grown up in the exact same way or a similar way, their experience is not, I don't want to say valid because I hate when we use the term, your experience is valid. Everybody's experiences are valid. You don't have to say that your experiences are valid. You don't actually have to make that statement. Everybody's experiences are valid. Maybe some people are a little mean when they don't acknowledge it the way you want them to, but at the end of the day, everybody's experiences are valid, and you don't have to keep constantly validating everybody because they live their life. They need to be secure with their thoughts. They need to be secure with the way that they live their life, and they don't need outside validation. They don't need people to say, your ideas are valid. Or your life experience is valid because it is. You exist. You're a human being. You have intrinsic value. So therefore, your experience is valid. But this author, it feels to me like they are dismissing those life experiences. They are saying that because we grew up in a different world, uh, those life experiences, those those aren't important anymore. They, they don't actually matter. And when we do that, we're creating a, a system that breaks us down by experiences. Oh, are you a 50-year-old man who grew up in South Detroit? Okay, I can relate to you. Are you a 50-year-old man who grew up in California? Oh, no, no. Our experiences are so different. So I have nothing to gain from you. I have no wisdom to gain from you. That's the logical extrapolation of where this author is going. And I don't enjoy it because it's just a more divisive way of thinking. And it's not going to help anybody. Because I can go talk to a woman down at the community store who's 66 years old. She grew up in a totally different state, didn't go to college. And some people would say, oh, well, we have different life experiences. There's nothing I can gain from her. No, no, no. I go down there and we talk all the time. And we're able to have an engaging conversation where sometimes she'll point things out that I need to learn, that I need to experience. And sometimes she'll say things where it's like, oh, I experienced the same thing. 
I didn't realize that you had that same perspective. And then it reinforces something that I observed in a certain way that I think about a certain thing. So there is always important information to be gained from anybody that you talk to, no matter who they are. And there's always wisdom to be gained, especially from an older generation that has been through harder times, who has been through a recession before, who has been through dating issues, who has dealt with social unrest. There is always wisdom to that. And I don't like how easily the author is dismissing their own importance. And of course, they're just writing this out for an article. Maybe they don't really believe it deep down, or maybe they had to make it a little bit sensational for the article itself. But I just, I don't like it. I don't like where the author's going with it. And I I feel terrible when I read it. Don't discount yourself so easily, man. You're valuable. You're not obsolete. And I know he knows he's not obsolete, but your point of view is important. And it keeps us newer kids, this new generation, reined in from making terrible mistakes because we don't truly understand the system that we're in. Or we're a little bit too naive and idealistic about what can be done and not understanding the implications of our actions. All right, so let's jump into our last article from The Daily Wire. Prospect of fusion energy breakthrough creates excitement ahead of big announcement. Quote, a report teasing a breakthrough in the search for viable nuclear fusion is generating a burst of cautious excitement for the future of energy ahead of the United U.S. government's announcement next week. The past two weeks, scientists at the federal facility in California were able to produce more energy than the amount of energy put into the experiment using laser beams to ignite a fusion reaction with a small amount of hydrogen plasma, sources told the Financial Times, end quote. And I'm sure I really don't have to tell you, any, any of you, how much this could change our world. Not only does it open the possibilities of a whole new source of clean energy. But much like nuclear fusion, sorry, fission, it opens the door to all types of new weapons as well. So, but for now, we need to, you know, analyze how much energy was reported to be produced here. And it was extremely small. So we have to be, like the author said, cautiously excited. Quote, people inside and out of the scientific community celebrated the news, though with a healthy dose of caution. The report offers some reason to be careful. As two of its sources said the greater than expected energy output, 2.5 megajoules of energy in the experiment using 2.1 megajoules of energy in the lasers, damaged some diagnostic equipment, end quote. And yeah, this is one aspect. We're delving into something that we don't truly understand and obviously we have some understanding if we're able to generate energy but at the end of the day this proves even in our attempts to create more energy we created 0.4 megajoules more than we had expected and it actually ended up hurting some of the diagnostic equipment so we need to be very careful when delving into this new energy for all we know it could if used wrong if implemented the wrong way could be even more disastrous than nuclear fission. And I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I'm trying to be a realist. I'm trying to take the position that this is amazing. There is so much clean energy that can come out of this. This could propel us to be the next level of the civilizational pyramid. If you know the, I can't remember the name of the framework, but basically the amount of energy that a civilization can extract from the world, from the solar system that's in, 
dictates what kind of what level of civilization it is. And it does come out of a science fiction book. I do remember that much. But still, there is a framework that we could use in theory that shows that as we are able to extract more energy from the resources around us, as we're able to create more energy, we kind of elevate ourselves. And as we've been able to produce more energy over time, civilizations have been picked out of the dark ages, have been brought into the industrial world. And with more energy comes the ability to produce more food, to stay up later, to have more, let's just say, healthy work and home environments. Imagine what happens if you're trying to, if you're in sub-Saharan Africa and you're trying to read a book with a candle above your head. That is very different than having a nice, beautiful lamp powered by gas or clean energy that allows you to read that book. And I know it's a pretty far-flung example, but energy is the basis of our total existence right now. So if we're able to come up with a new, more efficient way to create clean energy, that's great. But we also have to remember there are always, always side effects. There is always collateral damage, especially when dealing with the creation of energy in fusion rather than fission. At least fission, we understand breaking things down. When it comes to fusion, we're talking about combining certain particles, and that's a, a process that we don't know as much about. We've spent years, 50 years researching this. We've had experiments at the Large Hadron Collider trying to smash atoms into one another. So, Let's just be cautious. That's all I'm saying. I'm trying to be a realist about this situation. So, and, you know, that's not a lot of extra energy, 0.4 megajoules. That's not a crazy amount of extra energy, but at the end of the day, it is something. And we are still waiting for these reports to be independently verified and the announcement to come out from the federal government. But if this proves true, this is a huge breakthrough, and it has very wide-ranging implications for the technology sector, the energy sector, so on and so forth. And I'll read you the last quote here, because this is a shorter article, and I just really wanted to highlight it, bring it up. You know, it's one of those science articles that I really enjoy. It's something that's not so political, even though it can be, and it does imply certain things about U.S. dominance in the energy sector or the importance of being cautious when developing new technologies like this, especially with the military-industrial complex that we have here in place. See, there we go. I made it all about politics. That's my bad. I just enjoy these science articles. Like, I read the moon landing the other day, or sorry, not the moon landing, the Orion 1 capsule going around the moon in the Artemis 1 mission. Like, these kind of articles, I enjoy them. I find them to be interesting. So, I got one last quote for you. Quote, the report noted the laboratory was not ready to confirm any findings just yet. Initial diagnostic data suggests another successful experiment at the National Ignition Facility. However, the exact yield is still being determined and can't confirm that it is over the threshold at this time, the lab said. That analysis is in process, so publishing the information before the process is complete would be inaccurate. Still, Energy Secretary Jennifer Graham and Undersecretary for Nuclear Security, Jill Herbie, are expected to announce a major scientific breakthrough at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory on Tuesday, according to the Energy Department, end quote. So that's all we need to cover news-wise, or at least when it comes to big issues and big topics. Let's jump to our daily delight. And this one comes from the Daily Mail. Arctic foxes. 
adorable moment of family of foxes playing in the snow as London is transformed into a winter winter wonderland. So do you remember going out on those snow days and you would go out, have fun, mess around with some of your friends, maybe your family members? Well, apparently humans aren't the only ones who have fun and family snow days. Quote, a family of foxes were spotted frolicking in the festive snow in London. A woman took the video from her window in London on Sunday evening as the capital was experiencing snowfall, end quote. And uh, imagine if they could throw snowballs. Oh, my goodness, it would probably be a war zone out there. Quote, the adorable animals could be seen sitting in the snow and playfully chasing one another across the road as they mark their paw prints in the blanket of white snow, end quote. And, you know, if anyone wants to see these cute videos or you want to see the photos or read any of today's articles, they will be linked in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there is the Twitter handle at your daily flip. Uh, Try to post something every once in a while, news to keep you up to date, commentary, quote, tweet. And most Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, I post a link to the podcast so they can just go straight to Twitter and grab it from there rather than having to come to YouTube. All right. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.